Come on. Hello, dear listener. Before we get into today's show, quick ask. If you find value in today's show or you've gotten value out of a previous show, please leave us a quick five-star review. Be super grateful. Thanks a lot. The strong, the powerful Paul Clayson is here on Money Savage Create. Welcome, Paul. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for, uh, for for giving us some time to chat. I'm, I'm impressed with your show. Well, well thank you very much. I, I appreciate you making the time to be on. Paul is the CEO of Agile PQ. They are a privately held disruptive software company. He has extensive experience launching disruptive uh, technology companies, has served as the CEO of five early stage companies. Again, I'm excited to have you on. Paul, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, um, why I do what I do, I'm going to start uh, right there because I think uh, I, I'm a proponent of Simon Sinek and his uh, and his book, Start With Why. Uh, we all need to know why we do what we do. I do what I do to, to uh, provide for my family, to be a good person, to help provide uh, jobs and meaningful experiences for employees, and to change the world with technology. That's, that's what I do. And uh, and it's pretty pretty simple and straightforward. My personal life, uh, um, you know, I've, I've been married for 39 years, coming up on 40 years here, and nice. uh, to the love to the love of my life, and that's what's most important to me is my wife and my children. So so um, that's that's uh, a little bit about about me personally, and uh, and our and our company. We have a a, a company that allows people with the growing uh, Internet of Things, IoT, if you will, where inanimate objects are being connected to the Internet to make our life easier and more rich and and, uh, move data faster, but they're being put in place without security. So we created a way to see when people are attacking those devices and then shut the attacks down. And uh, that's the basic premise of our of our company and we don't know of anybody in the world doing what we're doing right now. Nice. So how did you, if nobody else is doing it, what, how, how were you able to identify that, the the actual risk and the need for what you're doing? Yeah. So on your smartphone, um, we all, on all of our smartphones, we take it for granted, uh, that when we pick that smartphone up and use it, that our messages are secure when they're being sent, whether it be a text message, which isn't always secure, by the way, or whether it be emails, which are secure through a through a system called IPsec, Internet Protocol Security, um, that includes multiple layers of encryption and uh, transport layer security and all kinds of other things. And we are secure on those devices. We are secure on a laptop and on a server. Uh, those Those things are secured right now until we hit a quantum computing age, and then they won't be. But um, but we, uh, we we take for granted that those are secure. So when we go to buy, you know, a, a, a Nest thermostat or or a, a smart thermostat or a coffee maker or an oven or anything that's connected to the internet these days, we take for granted that it must be secure, and it's not. 
because that security on your smartphone requires a pretty hefty processing power to encrypt every message that goes out and to decrypt it on the back end. Those small devices that are out there that are making our life better don't have the security necessary, or, or excuse me, the processing power necessary to run that security. So we had to go out and create a new type of security that allowed encryption and security layers of these devices uh, that would protect them using a much smaller footprint of processing power and processing code. And that's what we did. And while we were at it, we now also have created a visibility uh, tool, which allows um, companies to be able to see when those devices are being attacked by bad actors and know what kind of attacks are coming across and, uh, and uh, know that they need to be secured. Interesting. So I have I have this uh, desire to really simplify things for my brain. Are, are you saying that that when my phone is hooked up to the thermostat in my house or my oven or my TV, that the other devices are then potential ways that a hacker could get in? Yep. Well said. So a hacker right now could go up and uh, get on your. Uh, very likely on your wireless connection that you have those devices connected to and be able to hack into those devices and then be able to ride the data stream upstream to your to to a server which uh, connects that device and uh, and then from that server uh, they would try to get into all kinds of other information that would aid whatever their clandestine objective is so uh, so yes, you are right. Those those devices uh, are open. In fact, in the past uh, year, um, the number of attacks that have been perpetrated through these IoT devices has just gone through the roof. Um, it's now estimated that 33% of all infected devices around the world uh, are now these IoT devices. And that was for 2019. In 2020, we think that's going to at least double because these devices are wide open and bad actors are, are getting into them all the time. <laughs> well, it certainly sounds like you have uh, found yourself in a, a, a wonderful opportunity then. So you've got this experience um, leading and serving numerous five different early stage companies and so when, when you get your hands on an opportunity like this, there's unique challenges because there's nobody else. So you can't say we're kind of like XYZ company or we're doing a similar function XYZ company. Um, talk to me a little bit about how, how you overcome those challenges or if you even view them as challenges. Oh, yeah. There, there's always challenges with startups and especially when you're on the leading edge. Yeah. When you're in an emerging product that's owned by an emerging company that's in an emerging industry, <laughs> and a lot of those things haven't been done before, it's it's a big challenge, and it's a big challenge that requires a lot of uh, of education. So I, there are kind of three three key things that I adhere to in this kind of environment that I find really really helpful. One is vision. You have to have the vision of where you're headed, what you can do, and you have to be willing at this early stage to to stick to that vision and change if necessary, to create pivots if, uh, if it's not selling through like it should. 
improve the product, uh, add features, functions, and benefits, whatever you need to do. But you've got to keep that vision out there and connect with customers, potential customers, and other stakeholders to constantly test your vision for its validity. And, uh, and you'll know pretty quick if, if uh, you're on track or not, and, uh, and you have to be able to, to then uh, uh, change and pivot. The second is, within a company like this, there has to be absolute transparency across the board. So it doesn't run like a big company where somebody with a function uh, in Denver uh, doesn't have any clue what uh, a division in Portland, Oregon, or Salt Lake City, or Boston, Massachusetts is doing. Uh, in small companies, you have to have complete transparency about successes and failures. Uh, what's working, what's not working, why is it working, why is it not working, what do we need to do to change uh, policies, procedures, processes, and, and cultures to assure that things are working. And everybody has to contribute to that. Everybody does. Uh, and everybody has to take responsibility for helping everyone else when you've got a very small company that's just getting up and going. And the third thing is to avoid things that don't matter. So um, th there, there's an old saying, I've tried to look up who originally said it. It's not original with me, but, but I've adhered to it for many, many years. I can't find where it came from originally. But uh, the, the, the saying is, there is no value in doing well that which we should not be doing at all. And that is particularly true in startups. Sometimes we can all get caught up in the thick of thin things and be doing uh, things that we become very, very good at and they don't move the needle. They don't serve our customers, they don't serve our stakeholders, they don't uh, create revenue, they don't create um, proper information that will aid us in the future. So we constantly have to check ourselves. Is, is what we are doing the right thing and the thing that will move the needle the most. So those are those are three things that I, I really try to focus on inside of startups. Yeah, yeah, those are really powerful. Uh, talking about the first one, uh, I, I that's it sounds like it's such a this fine balance between we we don't want to give up too soon, but we don't want to hold on too long. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think the tendency is, and quite frankly, it's my tendency as well. I constantly have to check myself on this. The tendency is to hold on longer than we should have. Sometimes people hold on uh, so long it's to their own peril. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have set up a process uh, inside of companies, and, and I'll give you another little axiom that I also talk about constantly inside the company, and that is, the three main things that, uh, operationally, the three main things that are important in a company in this order are process, then process, then process. <laughs> uh, if, if we have set up processes that work, that move the needle, and we see that happening, uh, then we should adhere to those processes to get quality and to get the same results over and over again. If for some reason we're not getting results, then we have to look at it and say, okay, either our process needs adjusted or we haven't trained people well enough on the process. Those should be the only two things that, that, are, uh, th that we need to check and look at. So you constantly in a startup have to look 
whether your process is adequate. Uh, is the way we built this software and the process we use to get the outcome, is it adequate for our customers? Does it need to be changed? Uh, we had to do that um, uh, recently inside of, inside of our companies because we weren't getting the strong enough response that we wanted. So we had to add more visibility tools and more, uh, and more um, um, threat detection features to our, to our company because it's a very interesting uh, paradigm here, but companies don't seem to be as interested in stopping threats as they do seeing that the threats are occurring. <laughs> and once they see, see the threats are occurring, now they want to stop them, but it comes in that order. So we had to, we had to beef up. We we can sell a lot quicker by beefing up our visibility uh, tools. So I, I don't I don't know that there's a magic wand that's that you wave that says here's when you need to change and pivot and add or or whatever it might be. But if you've got metrics set up to know if you're moving the Review those metrics at a minimum one weekly with your senior management group, and that senior management group has a complete say. They know they're never going to be chastised for bringing uh, what needs to be said to the table. Then you'll find those out pretty quickly. Nice. I appreciate everything you just said, and it's a nice transition. You talked about how the senior management team, you need to be touching base with them super consistently at least once a week and let them know that, it's essential that they're speaking out, even though it might not be the most popular thing that they're saying. It sounds like um, it sounds like the first thing that you talked about. It's really uh, it's just addressing the technology and the actual product. But the next two are really people operations that everybody needs to know across all the different levels of the company. From the second one, exactly what's going on, and then the third one. Um, just making sure that everybody's doing what is essential and not wasting time on others. Is, is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it is a fair assessment. And sometimes, sometimes we're also busy. I mean, sometimes you can have a senior management group that is focused on the things that really do matter. But, uh, but suddenly you realize that maybe some people that are, uh, the real innovators, the people, the, the line engineers, the, line marketing people and so forth are tearing after something that is intriguing to them but may not move the needle. And so we have to do training. If, if we're not moving the needle among the rank and file of the employees, um, I immediately come back to management. I don't go to those employees. We, we, don't, we don't tell employees that they, that they are not doing a good job because something's not working. Uh, to me, that's a lack of of either appropriate metrics or it's a lack of training of the rank and file. All of that falls on management's uh, uh, shoulders, not not on employees. It's, it's just been my my observation over time that 99% of all employees want to uh, suit up and show up and do the best job they can and move things forward. So the thing that falls apart is when management isn't uh, training and focusing properly. <laughs> Nice. I appreciate that. Is it, well, I, I, I suppose it's, it's not a perfect science necessarily. Um, so how do you decide what you need to be spending your time on as CEO and then what you need to be handing off? Because it can't be all of it. 
Well, it's a really um, big, it's a real big question. I just asked Paul. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it really is. Um, so a CEO gets lots of questions, lots and lots of people want to ask whether, uh, you know, what should we do here? What should we do there? I can make one of two decisions uh, with regard to that. One, I can answer their question, which is easiest and fastest. Uh, if I know the answer, if I don't, we have to go find it. But, but, um, but I can answer their question, which is easiest and fastest, in the short term. Or I can ask a series of other questions that help somebody realize that I'm going to look to them for the answers, and I end up training people to be self-starters and self-sufficient. So, <laughs> for instance, there's four questions sometimes that, that I'll ask. I'll ask, what is our policy or our process regarding this? If we don't have a process, we build one. We try to build one immediately. The second is, what do you think we should do? And then I ask, what did your supervisor say to make sure that they've gone through the proper lines of supervisory to assess uh, what, what this is? And then after I ask those three, usually people pretty much know what they uh, what they should be doing, uh, and so I ask, well, then what is your decision? That way, everybody has ownership. It becomes their decision after thinking about the policy and the process, and what they themselves have thought through in their minds, and what their supervisors have said. Those are pretty. Those become a pretty powerful tool to train people to be self-sufficient uh, in in their decision-making processes. That's really powerful. So give me the four again. So what is your policy? What is the company's policy or process regarding this particular question? Mm -hmm. Number two, what do you think should be done? Number three, what did your supervisor say? And then the last one is, what is your decision regarding this? Nice. I'm a huge fan of having that sort of question tree or decision tree to be able to, 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 to go to. So thank you. All right. So coming up on 40 years of marriage, give me a, give me some relationship advice here. Well, the relationship advice is, is that, uh, everything I just told you about business doesn't work. And the main thing is to say yes, ma'am and no ma'am. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, and I, and I don't know that there there is a lot more because if I'm focused on the needs of my spouse and what I can do to make her life more and and more meaningful and more fulfilled, then then I'm doing the right thing. So over my 40 years in marriage, didn't always do this. It took time for my wife to train me. But, um, <laughs> but over 40 years of marriage, I started doing things that I knew – her or nobody else in the house like to do, but they've got to be done and it lifts burden. So, mm. I mean, I, I wash all of our dishes for every meal, every time. Uh, I make sure that I do that because I'm not a good cook and she's a fabulous cook. Uh, so she cooks and I, I wash, I try to clean the toilets. I try to do the vacuuming. I try to step up to things that don't always get done because they're tedious and they and nobody likes to do them and uh, and so forth. And over time, I just watched what happened when you lift those kinds of burdens from somebody. Their life develops because 
And it's the same way with your, with your kids. If you can train them to do this, their life develops and they feel much, much better about themselves be, uh, if they do these same kinds of things as well because they are serving other people. So I guess that's kind of it in the nutshell in, in my book. I love it. I think that's fantastic. Should have made that the difference-making tip, but Paul, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? <laughs> yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Um, <laughs> I so the difference-making tip I think really is is uh, to remember where we came from and that we all stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, my father was a medic in World War II and landed on Omaha Beach on D-Day. And as a medic, uh, I didn't find this out from him, by the way. I found out from one of his shipmates who told me all of this. He would crawl out on the beach after they were on the beach and pull wounded or dying soldiers back behind some sort of barrier and either administer medical attention to them or hold their hand and comfort comfort them until they died. And um, I think about the sacrifices that those people made that we can live like we live in this world today, despite pandemics and despite natural disasters and despite economic upheaval and despite ridiculous political wrangling. We live in a very wonderful world because giants prepared the way for us. And that's my tip. Don't ever forget that. And don't ever stop um, crediting those who built the world that uh, that brings so much to us. Well, I think that is great stuff. That definitely gets come on, come on. So powerful, Paul. I I, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So perspective. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? How can people learn more about Agile PQ? Well, I'm on uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, if they want to learn more about me, under Paul Clayson. And Agile PQ, the website is agilepq.com, A-G-I-L-E-P-Q, which stands for post-quantum, uh, .com. And, um, and uh, we're, uh, we're available. I'll even give you, if somebody wants to uh, connect with me for some reason, my email is uh, pclayson, P-C-L-A-Y-S-O-N, at agilepq.com. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Paul your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to agilepq.com. You can find Paul on LinkedIn. Shoot him an email. Thanks again, Paul. What a delight to be with you. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight, not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com. S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X dot com and get your mind, body, and money right.